the epistle of Jude. It's the penultimate book in the Bible. It's the book before the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. Bless God. We're just going to read a few verses. Tonight's topic is three infamous men. This is part one. Tonight we're going to look at the way of Cain. Let your eye run down, please, to verse 11. Good to see us all. I was going to say fellas, but lady too. The Lord bless you. Jude, verse 11, please. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. If you said that about someone in the year 2022, you would not be very Christ-like, they would say to you. That's not very Christian of you to say such things, but the Bible speaks of people and such things. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Let us pray. Father, Thank you again for so many in your house tonight. We thank you for each and every one that's here, every family represented, and we pray, oh God, that you would bless them for being here. We ask you, Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that by the power of thy blessed Spirit, you would come and speak to our hearts and our lives and open up our understanding of scriptural things. We do pray, Lord, if there's one here who is not yet saved and not yet made your son their own Lord and personal Savior and bowed the knee and repented of their sin and come under the fountain of blood which he shed at Calvary, we pray, O God, tonight thy spirit would speak to that man or that woman that they might come, Lord, with a repentant heart and be saved for all time and eternity. Lord, we just tell you tonight that we love you, we worship you, And we need you. We want you and we desire you. For you are everything to us. So glorify your son. Glorify thy name. And take this man of clay lips. And use him to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus name's sake we pray and I ask it. Amen. Amen. In our reading in verse 11. There are three men of infamy that are named here. First of all, there is Cain. Secondly, there is Balaam. And thirdly, there is Korah. And so we have a little snapshot of who they were. What was the problem with these men? First of all, it speaks of the way of Cain. Then it speaks of the error of Balaam. And thirdly, it speaks of the gainsaying of Korah. All in a short verse and little sentence, three men of infamy. As I said, this is part one. And tonight we will look at the way of Cain. Jude was an epistle, a little letter that was written. And it was said it was written to rouse the early church. In other words, to rouse them to stand, to defend the faith, and to understand who and what was coming into their midst. What did it mean to be outside? Outside of the church, outside in the world. Who was there out there? Now they are coming in, into the midst under different guise. And as we have read this evening, it says in verse 12, They are spots in your feasts of charity. And the word spots here is the word spelas, and it means they are like rocks under the surface of the water. It's the idea of it. 
rocks under the surface of the water. So when a ship with its hull is sailing across the water, coming into narrow waters, the rocks underneath may tear the hull open and sink the ship. So Jude is rousing this early group of believers to this and saying, listen, this is who now is in the church or maybe even their own assemblies. He says, you need to watch for it and keep a lookout that not everyone who says they are Christ's are Christ's. Speaks of false religion. It speaks of a false determination. And it speaks of men who have crept in. In other words, they were crafty after the serpent. They were like Cain and all of his ways. They were like Balaam and they were like Korah. And hence the description of Jude is given to the early church. It says they are clouds without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars. And the raging waves of the sea gives the idea is the sea is bringing in. Do you ever go after a storm and the waves have been crashing up a beach? Some people go beach combing and they get maybe something that was out at sea, now washed on. A lot of times now it's a lot of rubbish and debris and maybe old building that has fallen in or someone has dumped something in the sea. It comes to the shore and it's left a pile of rubbish. That's the idea Jude gives of these people. He says they say they're saved. They say they're Christ's. They proclaim him and they say they love him. But watch out for them because they're not. He says they are like these raging waves of the sea. Once the storm has passed, the destruction is over and the crashing of the waves has come on to the beach. There they leave the debris behind them. They sink the ship like the rocks under the water. He says, and while you're having feasts of love unto God, they are coming in and destroying it all. Brothers and sisters, surely tonight we can think of what has happened, especially in the last few years, couple of years, to the church. Those who would stand and proclaim the blood and the book, and yet they were nowhere to be seen or found. Surely there are those who would come in and profess to be saved and come into the, the church with an ecumenical mindset to join every faith and religion to themselves rather than defending the very faith that Jude speaks about found in Christ alone. I think in the year 2022 in which we live, this is more uh, prevalent for our day to day and possibly as far back from the Reformation that we need to understand and realize who people are and what people are and what is the test of our faith and what is the test of the fruit of their labors. Some people may claim I've been to church. Many have claimed to me in the past, I belong and I'm a member of such and such a church. I says, well, that's fine, but are you saved? Are you saved? I used to speak to my old grandfather, passed away many years now. And I used to say to him, but granda, are you saved? And he used to say to me, well, I go to the Church of Ireland. I've been there from a boy. And I used to say, but granda, are you saved? So brothers and sisters, whether it is any other church or this church, this church cannot save you. Neither can the denomination save you. Only Christ can save you. And as to him, you must turn to and yield yourself to. Notice here, these three men, the way of Cain, the error of Balaam, the gainsaying of Korah. Cain was a farmer. He tilled the land. He was a farmer. Balaam was a prophet, yet he was a false prophet. And Korah was a Levitical priest. 
but yet he let his station become too high or where he should have been. And God had to take a dealing with him. Turn with me as we look at the way of Cain this evening to Genesis chapter 4, please. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 1, and we'll read on down. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Now notice what Eve cries, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And the reason she's crying this is simply because, you see, she thought that this was Messiah. In chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Said it to the serpent of Eve. Of her seed, there will be enmity between you. And now she's thinking, have I then already so quickly birthed Messiah? And she gives birth to a man, a child called, she called him Cain. Notice, Eve experienced the suffering of childbirth brought on by the curse after the fall of Adam in the garden. Eve went through the pains of childbirth. Notice verse 16 of chapter 3. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow shalt thy bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Notice here, the first part of this is, you're going to have sorrow in childbirth, and you're going to find then the husband will be the head over you. Take note, brothers and sisters here, Eve experienced the suffering of the childbirth, but She's seen God's faithfulness in the giving of a son. And sometimes we need to see in our own times of weariness and trials and troubles and tribulations and all of those things that come against us and beset us, we need to see God's faithfulness in it. But she thought that she was having the Messiah, the one from Genesis 3.15. And of course it was not, but everything but it, he was off the wicked one, we're told. Let's read on. And she bare first two again, and she again bare his, his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord, and Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offerings. We haven't time to go into this tonight, but when Abel not only brings the lamb and the blood, he brings the fat. And by the time the law is codified in the book of Leviticus, one of the special offerings to God was the fat of it, was the fat of the sacrifice. And so Cain brings a more excellent sacrifice to the Lord than, pardon me, Abel does than Cain. Let us read on to verse 5. But unto Cain unto his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto him, Why art thou wroth, and why hast thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin laugh at the, do at the door, and unto thee, shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. The Lord says there's another chance for you. Go do what I command, and go do what I require. In other words, Cain, if you really mean this, then go do as I have said, as I tell. And Cain was very angry, and we know that the Lord had this dialogue with him. But notice what it says in verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from 
the ground. The way of Cain. So Cain brings the fruit of the ground. Think about the labor. The tilling of the ground. The turning over of the ground. The sowing the seed into the ground. Making sure it was looked after. The birds of the air didn't come to pick it. He must have had to keep his eye on it all of the time. And there he had to have patience. He had to wait on it and wait on it until it started to grow. And then he had to start to cut it, manual labor with his hands. And here he comes with the sweat of his brow, the labor of his hands, the power of his own works, and he brings it to God. Surely that would be the right offering where Abel brings a little lamb and he slays it and offers it unto God. Sometimes we can understand maybe why Cain was wroth. He was angry because God had not respect unto his sacrifice and offering, but rather he had unto Abel's. Notice here in verses 1 to 7, we have Cain's offering. In verse 8, we have Cain's killing of his brother. And then in verses 9 and 10, we have Cain covering. In other words, covering himself. He tried to cover his back. Where's thy brother? What have you done? She says, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? How am I meant to know where he is? Of course he knew where he was. He was lying in the field dead, maybe in a shallow grave. We don't know. Lying to God, trying to cover. Am I speaking to someone tonight and you've been trying to cover your sin for a long time? Nobody knows. Nobody's seen it. No one was there but you and whatever it was. And so you've tried to cover it for a long time. God's seen it. God's seen it. Where's your brother? God knew where his brother was. He wanted him to confess. What have you done? God knew what he had done. He wanted him to confess. He says, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Innocent blood. The first recorded murder in your Bible. Innocent blood. God looks for some recompense for the shedding of innocent blood. Whether there's been blood shed innocently throughout our years here in Northern Ireland, no matter what side of the divide you came from, innocent people died. Didn't deserve to die, they died. Or whether it has been the slaying of the innocent in the womb, God says their blood crieth unto me from the ground. God's seen it. God knows it. Here's what I've written. Take note. Cain's religion was too refined to slay a lamb, but not too cultured to murder his brother. Cain's religion was too refined to slay a lamb, but not too cultured to murder his brother. Slay a lamb. Seems so easy. God surely wouldn't want it like this. I'll offer offer God the works of my hands and the fruit of my labor and give him off my my strength and the sweat of my brow. Surely that is a better sacrifice than actually slaying a lamb. Imagine killing a little lamb. That's what people think. That's what the world thinks out there. That when we mention that God gave his son, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world when Christ came and bled and died. Here's where the topsy-turvy, upside-down world that we live in are thinking in their ways of Cain. They can protest. They can pay for advertisements on billboards or on social media. Or they can stand in the Westminster 
or wherever it may be, and they can show you uh, videos or programs and, of wildlife. And listen, I, I, I love animals, so don't get me wrong, but they're looking and they're saying, look what's happening to this poor tiger or the dolphin or the elephant or whatever it may be. And everyone's heart's breaking and bleeding, but they're not showing it of those who are being slain in abortion. That's the mindset. Look at these poor animals. And there's a child dying all the time here from its mother's womb. In Northern Ireland, we had at one time years ago, if you're a certain age, you'll remember this, there was an acceptable level of violence. Do you remember that? That's where our mindsets got to. There was an acceptable level of violence. And that's what the world gets to. That's where sin brings you further than you ever meant to go. Will keep you longer than you ever meant to stay. Will cost you more than you ever meant to pay. And that's where the world and the things of the world bring us, brothers and sisters, friends. That's where the the way of Cain will bring you. Yes, Cain's religion was too, too refined to slay a lamb, but not too cultured to murder his brother. Abel's offering is repulsive to man. Poor wee animal. This blood sacrifice. People say slaughterhouse religion, believing that Christ died and shed his blood for us. Slaughterhouse religion. Friend, I can tell you, I'm glad that he went to the cross. I'm glad that he shed his blood and died. I'm glad because by that blood being shed, I'm forgiven of all my sin. Slaughterhouse religion, no friend. As I've said it before, I'm a bloody preacher because I preach the blood. Brothers and sisters, where has the the mindset of people went when Abel's offering is repulsive to man, but yet it's beautiful to God? He looked at the blood of the lamb and he says, I will accept that. Abel's offering was repulsive to Cain. As it were, Abel's offering is repulsive to the world. How can a man be saved? How can a woman be saved? How can they be forgiven by the blood of a man on a cross being called the Lamb of God? How does that work? Friend, I don't know. All I know is God said it. This is how we go to God through the blood, through a son. And no other way means or method. And I just do what he says. I believe everything he tells me. Abel's offering is repulsive to man, but beautiful to God. And Cain's offering is beautiful to man, but repulsive to God. Because you see, even in religion, they think it's Jesus plus. The sacrifice of Christ, it's it's Jesus plus. In other words, it's what I can do. It's what I can give. It's the deeds and the alms and the works. It's being the good person. I'm not a bad fellow. I'm not a bad girl. You know, offering this to God, It's worse than Cain's offering. It's the way of Cain. And God will reject it. I want you to think of that. If you're trusting in anything but the blood of Jesus, God will reject it. Will you turn with me to Hebrews 11, please? Hebrews chapter 11. I'll get a drink while you're looking it up. Let's just read from verse 4. This is faith's hall of fame. It is known as because of all those who are by faith, by faith, by faith. Notice verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead 
yet speaketh. We're talking about the sacrifice of Abel this evening, aren't we? And we're talking about the sacrifice rejected of Cain this evening. But God looked at the gifts and chose Abel's over Cain's because Abel came by faith. By faith. The word, word here, by faith, the word is the word pistis. Pistis. And it means a belief or a conviction of truth in respect of man's relationship to God. I'm going to say it again. It means a belief or a conviction of truth in respect of man's relationship to God. This conviction of truth is that God exists. First of all, God exists. We read of that if you let your eye run down to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, or must believe that God even exists. And when someone says, well, I believe that God exists, well, that's good. But the devils also believe that God exists. But it's that God is existing in Christ and die for us and pet our debt in its fullness. Notice this. This conviction of truth is that God exists and that he is the creator and ruler of all things. And only he can bestow life and eternal salvation. And so a holy favor, fervor, pardon me, a holy fervor born of imputed faith is generated in the depraved heart of the man or woman. A holy fervor should be in every child of God. I want to say it again. Please, it's not a condemnation. But if this stirs up your heart, then so be it because God will do it. A holy fervor for the things of God should be in the heart of every child of God. Every blood-washed and born-again believer should have a holy fervor in their heart. Born of imputed faith, what do I mean? It's faith that's not of yourself. It's not faith in yourself. But it is faith which has been given to you by God. There's nothing in you that ever wanted God. There's nothing in me that ever wanted him. But rather he came and enabled me to have faith imputed into me. Imputed faith is generated in the depraved heart of man. Abel is a man of imputed sin. I'm going to say it again. Abel, not even talking about Cain here, but Cain also, but Abel was a man of imputed sin. In other words, his sins were added up to him, reckoned up against him. When God sees the believer and you are in faith and you have imputed faith, the faith in Christ and what he has done, it is added up to us and hence we are righteous before God. But when we're in our sin, our sin is imputed, it is counted, it is added, it is reckoned up And what happens? We are told by the word of God that we are guilty before God. And if you were standing before God in your sin, you would be found guilty as charged and hence judged as seemingly fit. Abel was a man with imputed sin. You know why? Because he was his father's son. Adam's son. That's why we have imputed sin added up against us. It's in our nature to sin. Sinning does not make you a sinner. Sinning does not make you a sinner. You and I sin because we already are sinners. It's in our nature to sin. No one has to teach us to sin. It's in our nature to do so. There's a story I've told before. If you've heard it before, please forgive me. But others might not. An illustration of this, of our nature from Adam's genes, from being an Adam's race. It's a story 
of a scorpion comes to the side of a riverbank wanting to cross the river. He realizes he'll drown if he enters the waters. And so he's stuck until a frog comes swimming by and the scorpion says to the frog, excuse me, Mr. Frog, would you come close and allow me to hop on your back and would you take me across the river? I'd be very, very, very appreciative of it. Mr. Frog says to Mr. Scorpion, hold on a minute, Mr. Scorpion. I understand what you'll do. I'll get you on my back and I'll swim you across the stream. And once you get to the other side of the river, when you get off, you'll sting me with your sting and you'll kill me. No, said Mr. Scorpion, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you I won't do that. So after some coaxing, Mr. Frog relents and says, okay, hop on. And Mr. Scorpion hops on his back and across the river they go. And getting up to the other side, Mr. Scorpion realizes I can make it from here. And as he jumps, he turns with his tail with the sting and he plunges it into the middle of the back of Mr. Frog. Mr. Frog, feeling the pain and the poison that would enter into him, says to Mr. Scorpion, Ah, but Mr. Scorpion, why did you do that with me? You promised me that you would not do that. You promised me you wouldn't do that. Now I'll die from your poison in my system. Why did you do it, Mr. Scorpion? And the scorpion, he turns around to the frog and he says, I'm sorry, I can't help myself because it's in my nature. I'm sorry. I can't help myself. It's in my nature. The idea of this story is that you and I could help ourselves to be saved. You and I can't help ourselves from sinning. You know why? Because it's in our nature. It's in our nature nature to sin. Hence we need someone who is holy and blameless and who is undefined who would be separate from sinners. We need someone who is spotless able to keep a law that we couldn't keep and to live a life we couldn't live and to die in a a place we should have died. That's why your body will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye when Christ returns. You see, when you and I are saved, when you and I are saved, we are saved from the penalty of sin. Would you say penalty? If you're saved, you will not stand in judgment. You're saved from the penalty of sin. When Christ returns... You and I who are saved from the penalty of sin, we will be saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved when he changes our bodies to be like his own glorious body. We will be saved from the presence of sin. See, as soon as you're Awake in the morning, even in your dreams and your thoughts at night, you're just lying there in your, your body. Your body's just an old sinner. That's why there's a war between the flesh and the spirit in you. You can't help it, it's in your nature. But the new nature of Christ is when a man and woman are born again and saved and washed in the blood, they should be different. Different. From Christ has saved you, brother, sister, has your life changed? Sister, has your husband changed? Brother, has your wife changed? 
If you're claiming to be saved, has your marriage changed? If you're claiming to be Christ, has your mindset changed? Has your desires changed? Has your will and your want changed? Is your will swallowed up by his will? That's why Jude says there are those who are saying they're Christ. He says they're like, they're dead. Twice dead, plucked up by the roots and no fruit in them. If there's no change, there's no Christ. If there's no change, there's no Christ. Boy, you can feel that, can't you? You can hear that, can't you? That silence. You're a pin drop here. You know why? Because God is speaking to hearts. The way of Cain is everything opposite to the way of Christ. The heart of Cain is not the heart of God. The mindset of Cain is not the mindset of Christ. Renewing our minds in Christ. Abel was a man of imputed sin. He comes to God with imputed faith. And there he offers the required sacrifice of blood unto God. And listen, God received it even though he was a rotten sinner. You know why? He came by faith in the blood. (laughs) Isn't that marvelous? Picture of Christ, we come by faith in the blood. And God accepts you in your failures, in your faults. If you're not saved tonight, do you realize that you have this way of Cain about you? And you'll be rejected from God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, listen to what the apostle writes. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So because of Adam, the offense of judgment was by one. By Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. We're all under condemnation outside of Christ. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. All who are in Christ are justified. Now listen to what he says. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And here's what the the apostle is saying. By the disobedience of one who is Adam, many were made sinners. The, the, the word for disobedience is the word parakae. Parakae. It comes from two words, para, as in paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one called alongside to help it means, as in the parables where you have a heavenly story, as it were, with a, an earthly meaning. It's alongside, to throw alongside of. And the parakae, okeo, means to hear. And in the negative, it means this, that Adam, in the cool of the day, walked with God. God had Adam's ear. Adam, of all of the trees in the midst of the garden, thou shalt eat thereof, but of the trees, the two trees in the midst of the garden, thou mayest not eat thereof, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam had the voice of God in his ear, listening You'll die if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You'll die. And the old sooty foot serpent comes up and he says, Hath God really said? Did God really say that? Is that what the word really means? You shall not surely die. The first thing was he twisted the word. He didn't deny the word. He didn't take the word away. He twisted it. Brothers and sisters, Adam had God in his ear. God had Adam's ear. He was disobedient and he ate. He partook of that which he was told not to partake in. Now here's the thing. 
It means failing to listen when God was speaking. Adam was failing to listen when God was speaking. Is there someone tonight and God has been speaking to you? God has been dealing with you? God has been working on you and you've been maybe thinking things when no one's around, maybe in bed at night and you've been asking questions maybe of someone in work or someone you know or a family member and God keeps speaking to you. You're not saved, son, and you better come to me now. You're not saved, daughter. You better come to me now. You failed to listen when God has been speaking. Adam done that. Look at the mess we're in. By one man's disobedience, many, he says, were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The word obedience is a similar word. So paraka A means disobedience. And hupakeo is the mean word for obedience. Hupal means to come under in order to uphold and lift up. To uphold and lift up. Remember when I was young and we lived in a wee tiny house and we were in, 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 in Belfast and there was just a wee small room and there's an or wee small room and we thought, well, why have two wee small rooms when you knock them together and have two wee small rooms put together and it's a sort of a medium-sized room. And so my dad and my granddad started knocking holes in the wall. And they realized that was a supporting wall and they had to put these big stanchions up and the big uh, H-beam across made of steel. You know what for? To come underneath and to hold it up. To hold it up that it wouldn't fall. That's the idea of hoopo in the scripture. To come underneath, to hold it up that none of it falls. A chaos to hear in order to uphold God's word in its completeness and its fullness. By one man's obedience. Who's the one man but Christ himself? This is what Adam did. Failed to listen when God was speaking. But here's what Christ did. He came under. He upheld the word of God. He upheld the law of God. He upheld the commandments of God. That none of us would fall. And what we must do is to put our faith and our trust and our all in him. And from that comes the way of Cain, or you can go the way of Abel, man of faith. And so in Hebrews 11, by faith Abel offered up unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained the witness that he was righteous. God testifying. No, God said, this is right. The blood is the way. The lamb is to come. God was saying it's this way and none other. Testifying of the blood of Abel's offering, a picture of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father says, the Father says, the only thing I will recognize and I will testify of is this the blood of my Son shed at Calvary. I had a man write me a letter during the week. It wasn't very nice. Nice handwriting line. But it wasn't very nice. And he says, I wish you'd just clear off and leave us all alone. I can hear you shouting. (laughs) I wish you'd all just go away and give our community peace. For I can hear you shouting. Well, I hope he heard me shouting about the blood of Christ. A more excellent sacrifice is not talking about quantity, but quality. The quality of the sacrifice of Abel over Cain, but how a greater quality of the sacrifice of Christ. Cain followed, you ready? Cain followed his reason and ignored the revelation. Cain followed his reason and ignored the revelation. Here's what I'm saying. You try and work it out with your head, don't you? Following the reason. We're told to follow this and follow that and follow the other thing. 
You're programmed to follow something, aren't you? So you try and work it out in your head. You try and reason it all out. Cain was reasoning it. Surely if I show God that, look, I have dug over the ground, the sweat was lashing off me at this, and I was exhausted. Boy, I slept well at night, but I'll tell you, sowing the seed and having to watch, so I'd see those birds of the air that would come and take the seed out. He says, boy, they would put me away in the head, those old birds. Well, what patience it was to wait and wait to see them, and to come every day and to maybe talk to the plants like these people that we're here now, you know, about all the green stuff. He'd do well in the Great Reset, Cain, wouldn't he? That's because he is in the Great Reset. That's because the like of him is. It's all about humanism. It's all about humanism, what I um, it's about me and everything I can do and give and then he brings it up he says sure my reason is you will accept this and God says no I won't I'll accept the blood you can think and reason with yourself and you can reason yourself until you enter into a lost eternity and go to a devil's hell you can reason all you want or your heart can feel the tug of the Spirit, the moving of the Holy Ghost, the conviction of the Word of God and you can yield to it and say, I'm coming, Lord, but I'm not going to bring what I think. I'm not going to bring what I can work at. I'm not going to bring what I can do. I'm going to come by the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ. I better close this. Cain followed his reason and ignored the revelation. Abel accepted revelation and rested his faith in it that by the blood would come divine acceptability because it was that what was and had been prescribed by God. He come God's way, not ours. But in his faith, but his faith in God's word and way won the day for Abel. Abel is off the household of faith. Uh, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 4 tells us this. And here's the thing. He's the very first person mentioned. Not Adam. Not his father. Nor his mother Eve. Abel was. Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And the word more excellent is word plion. And the Lord Jesus speaking to the Jews in Matthew 5 and 20. He said unto them, for I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed. The word there is the same, plion. And it means greater quality. Not quantity of works of doing, quality of what you're told to do. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. He's telling them, these scribes and Pharisees who were so strict in everything they did, who looked for the sacrifices of a temple, who went and actually tried to keep 613 commandments, afraid to look to the left or the right in case they sinned, they were like walking robots. And the Lord Jesus says to the people, unless your righteousness exceeds, ply on more excellent than theirs. Now the people would go, how on earth am I meant to be better than him? The scribes, those who knew the word, 
the scribes, those who could tell you, cross the T's and dot the I's and all the letters are behind their name, like the alphabet behind it. He says, if your righteousness does not exceed being better quality than them on the Pharisees, you shall no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. What do we do, Lord? What are we going to do? He says, well, I'm going to exceed it and I am going to take your sin and take it away from you. But if you take my righteousness, my righteousness will be on you and that will exceed their righteousness because they were going to hell too. That's what the Lord thought of Cain's faith. So I'm going to close with this. Too much material. I've actually got next Sunday nights. I kept writing and I then I got so much into this. I wrote all day yesterday as well, right up to tea time. And I didn't want to stop. I was taking a bit of writer's cramp and my back was sore and I had to go and pick up the Chinese. <laughs> I hadn't come out of my study all day yesterday. I was just loving it. Jude mentions the way of Cain, this man of infamy. But in Genesis 4, we're told Cain killed Abel in the field. In the field. Now, listen, both would have been in a field, one to work the field, one to walk the field. One to work the field, one to walk the field. One was a farmer, as I said. The other was a shepherd. Abel was a shepherd. He walked the fields. Cain says, come into my field here. And he slays his brother. Abel's name means breath or vapor or vanity. Abel's breath was taken from him. A picture of Adam's seed. Adam's race. God had indeed made his creation subject after the fall of Adam to vanity. In other words, we're here for a moment and then we're gone. Cain means gotten or possession. As I said, his mother thought, I have gotten Messiah of a man from the Lord. But we're told Cain was off that wicked one and brought Abel into a field. The ground Cain worked was stained with innocent blood and he took possession of Abel's life. Now Cain is off that wicked one. As I close, listen to this. In Matthew 13, the Lord Jesus talks about a little parable about a sower and he sows seed in his field. And the next day they come and they say, Master, look at the tares, the tares in your field. And the words are, an enemy hath done this. In the field, an enemy has sowed this. I spoke some months ago on this about the tares in the world and the tares of the elitists and the tares of all that they're doing and the tares in our nation and the tares that are in our government. Tares, the enemy has done this. They say, well, we plucked them up. He says, no, leave them lest you pull up the, the good seed with it, the wheat with it. And later in Matthew 13 and verse 38, he's asked about this parable. What does it mean? And listen to what he says. The field is the world. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Here he's speaking about initially of Israel getting scattered. The good seed being scattered. 
The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Notice, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Now you're going to have to go back if you want to hear it and go back and listen. I think I called it wild men slept. Wild men slept. An enemy came and sowed the tares. And here's what's wrong. From our government down. Many of the political parties. From church leadership. Church leadership. Why they've been sleeping. And they're in this world, but we're not meant to be off this world. We're in the field. Cain's seed, if you want. The way of Cain is in the hearts of men and women. And they have sowed the tares among us. Do you know what a tear is? It's known as a bastard wheat. It looks almost exactly the same as a wheat of stock. But there's no little knots in it. You see, when a wheat is growing up and there's a little knot, it strengthens the stalk and the head bows as though it worships at the top when the corn is in the ear. Bows over. But the tear doesn't. It goes up and stays like this for if it bows, it will break. And many of them won't bow because they know they'll break, but they will bow one day to the Lord Jesus Christ. True corn is heavy and causes us to bow before the king. The true children, the true seed, we bow our heads before him. And the difficulties we have come through have put knots in our stock to strengthen us to be able to stand. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, and the terrors are the children of the wicked one. Next week, the error of Balaam. It's very interesting. I have something else for you next week. Completely different than this. But are you saved? Are you saved? Are you born again? Are you Christ's? Has he been speaking to you and you're failing to listen like Adam when God is speaking? Are you like Cain that you're on the way of Cain? You think, well, you know, I'm not that bad and I'll bring something to God someday and he will totally reject it and you will wonder why. But he says, if you do right, in other words, if you come the right way, he says, there's another chance for you tonight. So will you come? Will you come? Can I say to you as I close this? Folks, remember this week, there's an election this week. And while there's been tears up there voting in the murder of babies because of a cleft palate or maybe a club foot. Murder, you can abort a child up the birth. Up the birth. They're making them pass in these laws. They don't want the gospel preached in our land. Folks, you need to vote for those who are pro-life. Listen, see when a Roman Catholic priest can turn around and say and tell those people they won't vote for the Shinners because they're not pro-life or the SDLP because they're not pro-life. He says he'll vote for Ian too because they're pro-life and then he's going to vote all pro-life candidates. See when a Roman Catholic priest can do that. I wonder, where's the evangelical church telling it? Where are they? Who's heard from a a minister or a pastor about voting for righteousness and voting for the right person who will bring in proper laws? Who's heard their pastor say that or their minister? Anybody want to put their hand up? I'm sure there's very few. Yes, me. (laughs) He wants his you. Yes, Brothers and sisters, we need to vote right and remove this wickedness from our land. 
See, if we don't and vote down the card of the pro-life and those with Christian values, you and I are going to come under more and more persecution because the tares, the way of Cain, is in our government. See, Darren in. Darren's pro-life. Stand up, Darren, a wee minute. There he is. Pro-life. 